Father, we, we thank you and we're always careful to give you the honor, the glory, the praise. I ask God that you would take these words, Lord, and let them penetrate deep into the ear. That it would go deep enough to, to ensure stability, Lord God. It's not good enough just to hear and, and receive, but it has to become a part of us, God. And let it, let it somehow, Holy Spirit, become a part of us. That we would grow and mature. That you would prosper us as we make our way forward. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. So I've been talking about the heart a couple of Sundays ago. Well, last week was not, uh, NFL, but before that was dealing with the heart. And I, and I want to still talk about the heart. Um, the heart is an unusual organ, you know, um, the center of us. And, and we look at the heart and, and we go around the world, you know, we grow up and we're always, we always say we're looking for people with a heart, you know, people we can trust, people we, we can rely on. And then we grow and what happens? We get burnt. No, maybe you never got burnt. Or maybe God taken advantage of them. Lied to. And you really, all you wanted was somebody who had some heart. You know, uh, we all look around and the world just seems to, we miss each other. I think what happens sometimes, we, the ones that want a heart, we kind of miss each other. We wrong, run into the wrong people. So I want to talk about it. And, when, and Paul was talking to Timothy, who was his young disciple, and he was talking about what love is. And, and if you're a math, math freak, love is very simple. It says a pure heart, clear conscience, sincere faith, which is, which is love. And, and, and a lot of times, even here, it says they, the teachers missed the point. And I think believers missed the point of why we come to church or why there is a church or why we're even called Christians. You know, when he talks to Titus in the in first chapter of Titus, uh, verse 15, he says this to him. And it's another young disciple. These are two young men. Paul was probably, you know, closer to my age and Timothy was probably closer to Ace's age. And so it's like, you know, me talking to Ace and saying, what's wrong with you, boy? No, I'm just kidding. And he goes, Titus, he says, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even in their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works deny him. See, this is what happens. See, if we're connivers and jibers, basically, not that anybody here is a conniver and jiber, but when we deal with people, right away we think they're conniving and jiving. And the reason we think that, because that's how we are. Can I, can I? So he's saying this, but to the pure, he says, all things are pure. So a person who doesn't think jiving, conniving, they, we, we call them uh, uh, naive. It's not that they're naive. They don't think that way. And so they're, they're, they're thinking like they think and they're naive. They believe everybody thinks in that pure manner. So he says, For to the pure, all things are pure. And that's what we call naive. It would be better if we were all naive. But we're not. Because most of us think jiving, conniving. Why? Because you're a jiver and a conniver. 
And we say, well, but the reason I'm a jiver, can I because somebody jive me, can I be? And nobody's going to get me again. So we get toughened. We get toughened up. Are you with me? And it, but then he says, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. So we don't trust nobody. Right? Have you ever met anybody who says, I don't trust nobody? Well, see, that person is defined here. It says, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. That's why I want to talk about having a pure heart. Because we have to somehow, despite our past, despite the pain, the hurts, the struggles, we have to strive for a pure heart. That's a tough gig right there. Amen? See, actions speak louder than words. Because we've heard it all. You know, people talk, weedy, weedy, weedy. Oh, I heard all that. You got to show me, right? I, I ain't from Kansas, but show me anyway. Psalms 24, 4 through 5, the psalmist is writing, and he says this, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not, it's very important, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, or, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from God of his salvation. So this verse describes what we shouldn't do. We shouldn't lift our soul, <clears throat> which means the seat of our emotions, who we are, to an idol. <clears throat> What's in an idol? I'm not talking about some fat little Buddha we call Buddha Buddha. No, no I'm not, that's not an idol. That is a form of an idol. I'm not talking about something that you hang on the wall, saying this and saying that. That's another type of idol. I'm not talking about that. Those are very distinctive idols. But most people have idols. And if you want to quantify what an idol is, anything you put before God is your idol. Now, if you have nothing before God, you got nothing to worry about. But if you have something before God, he says, anybody who has lifted his soul to an idol, nor sworn deeply, right? This person, you cannot do these things if you want God's blessings. Now, does anybody want God's blessings? So that we have to learn quickly, as quick as possible, what is an idol, what is not an idol, and not put that idol before God. Amen? It says you shouldn't swear deceitfully. That means take a note. That doesn't mean say the, say the F word. That doesn't mean cussing. Swearing deceitfully means you told somebody you were going to do something, and you didn't. You're a liar. Can't be trusted. That's what that means. Huh? That word uh, to swear uh, means Shaba, to complete or to seven oneself. Seven is a number of completion. God created the earth and on the seventh day he what? Because he was completed. Seven is wholeness. So when you swear, you're saying with my completeness, I say this to you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And how many of us say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And you don't do that. And then we think life passes us by and everything's cool. No, my friend, you have put your, yourself in a position of a curse. You got to end that curse. You got to do what you said you're going to do. Amen? 2 Timothy 2 2. Again, I'm, I'm open up for what, what, the, what the heart. Now, has anybody ever been tempted? Okay, there's three of us lying, the rest of you are liars. And going to hell. No. So what do you do when you're tempted? Run. That's why well, I took you to 2 Timothy 2.22. That is my... Doo -doo -doo -doo. Blow that horn and run. 
So temptation should be your key to get. Now, some people, when they see temptation, they try to see how close they can get to it. Anybody looking? My wife ain't here. Hello, someone. How close are you? Instead of running, they get so close to temptation. But at least I didn't sin. No, but you're stupid. Paul's telling his young, his young disciple, his young guy like Ace, run. It says, it says run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Do you know what he's talking about? Run. So she walked up to you in a pair of tight jeans. Run, young man, young Ace, young Padawan. Run. Huh? Then it says, follow anything that makes you want to do right. Pursue faith and love and peace and enjoy the companionship of those who on the Lord are with pure hearts. Find those people. Why? Because everything else is, is set up to make you fall. It's set up to make you stumble. It's set up to make you fail. See, because having lustful thoughts isn't your biggest problem. Let me say that again. Having lustful thoughts isn't your biggest problem. Because everybody in this room probably had a few of them before they came to church. That's not your biggest problem. The problem comes when you remain near the subject that started the lustful thought. Now you got a problem. Huh? See, the, the temptation can be person, place, or thing. All right? In this day and age, or it. You know what I'm saying? We don't know what it is today. We don't know. We're, we're in a different, different era. Huh? See, it is an issue of what you're having the thought about. See, in our society of perversion, the enemy has ordered his forces. Their mission is to constantly attack our desires. Why? Because he, we, he has a call and a purpose in our life, and all he wants to do is get you hot and bothered, get you thinking about the wrong things, get you on track to the wrong areas, have you doing the wrong things. And that's a continual bombardment, bombardment, and bombardment, especially on the, the minds of the young. When you have, you know, L, B, G, T, Q, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, H, L, M, L, P, all these other things, right? Are you kidding me? And it's attacking the, the minds. Why? And it's only for one purpose. It's not for the temptation itself. It's to get you up kilter with your relationship with God. Hmm? See, God wants us to remain pure. That innocent, that naive, to the pure, all things are pure. He's trying to get us back to that purity the enemy's tools are to keep you away from that purity. And what does he use? The biggest one is music. Movies. Hello, someone. Right? Money. Oh, the three M's. Music, movies, and money. He'll get you. You know, if it ain't shake your thing and do your thing in the movies, calling you an N and, and saying this and that, and all this garbage on radio, rapping, it's in the movies where, 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 they're, where they're, they're simulating... Porno, porno on, on regular PG-13 movies, and, there were, and then, then a pastor's got to deal with guys like, Pastor, how do I keep following? Man? Well, stop watching TV, man. It's turning you on. Turn it off. Right? And, and it's constant. Is it not? Or is that just in my house? It's all, it just keeps coming, keeps coming at you. And you got to fight it. You fight it. You fight it. 
And enticement comes in many, many forms. So you need to be aware that they're always coming at you. And what is the goal? Satan's attack wants to attack our conscience with one goal. He wants to get into your brain so he can move into the realm of your heart. Because he's trying to grab your heart. He's not trying to grab your brain. It's the heart that matters. It's the heart. So if he, if he can get to you, there's only one way to the heart. It's through the mind, to, the seat, to your soul, to the seat of your emotion. So everything is geared to the attack. Why? Because the heart will ultimately determine who you are. It'll determine what you'll become. It'll determine success or failure. Not your brain, your heart. Now you need a brain, but it's your heart. See, the words of your mouth determine what and who you become. Now, I know at times there are people, you like people don't understand you, you know, what you say, the words of your mouth. I call it, this is the great war of the ages. Take this. You have the devil who wants you to die and to miss your purpose in life. Or do we understand that? Period. God on the other side, has prepared a perfect plan. He has a perfect plan and a purpose for your life if you maintain a pure heart. And the difficulty is our past is so messed up, it keeps interfering with what, what God wants to do today to change you. So he's trying to change your heart because your past is in your present. You can't let that happen. I don't care who's done it to you. I've heard it said, and I say, but believe it, I, I love the, the, phrase, the phrase. When you allow somebody from your past to enter and affect your future, you have let them live in your brain rent-free. So not only did they hurt you then, because you allowed, not them, it's not their fault, you allowed them to live in your brain. Today, they have lived in your life rent-free. Now, that is not justifying what was done. That is not agreeing. And we may completely agree that it was horrible. Nonetheless, there's nothing we can do about that. You're here. And God's intent is to make your heart pure. And once you can do that, and God, with God you can do it, then your dreams become a reality. Because no longer does the enemy have a hook on you. It's like that, that big fat mouth bass with a big old hook in his jaw. Reeling you in. Come on in, sucker. I gotcha. You gotta let the hook go. Uh, so we must fully comprehend that between your mouth and heart, that, that area between your mouth and heart is not a biological relationship. The mouth and the heart have a spiritual consequence, something that will determine your life. James, he's talking to all the 12 churches in the book of James, and he tells them, look, if anyone who thinks you're religious, huh, and you don't take care of your tongue, you don't bridle your tongue, you deceive your heart, and your religion is fruitless, is of no avail. It's the tongue. Ah, so we went from the head to the heart to the tongue. Very important distinction there. Huh? James, he keeps talking about the tongue. He goes, that little tongue. I have everybody, go ahead, stick that little tongue out. That little tongue right there, right? It boasts great things. That little tongue is so corrupt and deceitful. 
That little thing. Huh? In James 3.8, it reads like this, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Huh? No human can tame it. So what your heart becomes, and this is important, what your heart becomes, your tongue will tattle. Little tattletale. My dad, when we used to, you know, hey, mom, dad's, dad's doing this. He'd, you bunch of stool pigeons. He would call it stool pigeons, right? He would call, if you, if you, if you tattle, you're a stool pigeon. You guys ever heard of that stool pigeon, right? You stool pigeon. Uh, but yeah, your tongue is a stool pigeon of your heart. But what got your heart is your brain. So the enemy's attacking your brain, attacking your brain, attacking your brain. Why? Because it wants to corrupt your heart, corrupt your heart, because you know that eventually you're going to say what's in your heart. And once you say what's in your heart, then you begin to unleash a spiritual dynamic that you can't stop. You can either bless or you can curse. We have that type of power. Uh, Psalm 17.3 reads, Though you probe my heart and examine me at night, though you test me, you will find nothing, because I have resolved that my mouth will not sin. Oh, that's a good one. Some of you say, well, I didn't, I didn't touch him. I didn't say nothing. I know. I didn't do nothing. No, but your mouth sinned. Your mouth. You, you and your big mouth. Can I say it like that? I just did. Psalms 19.14 reads, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. When Jesus spoke to the religious people, the Pharisees, he addressed the relationship of the mouth and their heart. He didn't talk about anything else. He looked at them. He goes, oh, man, your mouth. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 12, 35, he, goes, he called them, you brood of vipers. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Huh? This is called the fruit of the lips. And we have to have good fruit. But why do we cuss? Why do we lie? Why do we cheat? Why? Because all of our life, most of our life, for some of us, for some of you have been blessed, but for most of our lives, we've heard all these games, connivers and jiving. We've heard them. We've heard them. They came into our ear. They went into our brain. And then somebody says, this is how we act. This is what you do. You don't let nobody get over you. And if they get over you, pay back, man. And nothing better than a good payback. And don't you, and you, and you learn it, and you learn it, and you learn it. And then when you see them, you you pay them back. You go, oh, that felt good for a little while. And that, de that determines who you are. And all of a sudden, nothing you see is pure. Everything is defiled. Why? Because you're defiled because you don't trust nobody. You don't like anybody. You, everybody's up to no good. And not, everybody's not up to no good. You're up to no good. But you think everybody's like that. Listen, I, learned, I had learned the hard way. I married my wife. It was hard for me, not hard for her. No, really, because I came from the neighborhood, right? And everybody had a scam. Everybody was jiving, conniving, trying to get over, right? And I knew. And so, but on, and really, on, on her, her side of the family, they don't think like that. The kid, the, not the brothers do, but the, the sisters don't like that. They're very innocent. And I thought she was conniving me. I thought, there's no way. Uh-uh, I don't believe you. Ain't nobody like that. No, no, there's something up with this chick. Nobody's that innocent. 
No way. Nobody's not naive. Uh-uh, I don't believe you. You can pull my leg, but uh-uh. And so I didn't, I didn't bite into it until I met her other sisters. I said, oh, my God, they're all like that. Couldn't believe it. Right? They're all like that. Like, wow, really? They're like, really? They're like, wow, that's a trip. Like I, like I left Dakota and went to Wonderland. Mary Papa, I knew Mary Papa was going to fall down pretty soon. Singing because it wasn't real. What? Because in my mind, I thought everybody was up to no good. To the defiled, everything's defiled. But to the pure at heart, everything's pure. They look at things differently. So we have to fight away. Listen, people, we have to fight our way back to purity. Despite our past. Because that past is only going to hinder our future. We have to start thinking right. Thinking like God wants us to think. Huh? For the fruit of our lips. Proverbs 12, 14 says, From the fruit of his lips a man is filled with good things. And as surely as the work of his hand rewards him. Proverbs 13.2 reads, From the fruit of the lips a man enjoys good things. Proverbs 18.20, From the fruit of his mouth a man's stomach is filled with the harvest from his lips. He is satisfied. So let's be clear, the Proverbs writer is describing a person's heart. Because out of the heart the mouth speaks. The Hebrew writer talking amongst the same line. Let's all turn there if you can. Hebrews 13, 15. Hebrews 13, 15 reads, Through Jesus, therefore let us continue to offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess His name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. That's what we're called to do. Notice what Luke uh, writes in Jesus, uh, he, the discourse about fruit. And he, he's, he's talking, and Jesus is talking to the people there in the book of Luke in chapter 6. And he says, a good tree can produce, or rather it's like a rhetorical question, a good tree can't produce bad fruit. And a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by the kind of fruit it produces. Figs never grow on thorn bushes and grapes on bramble bushes. A good person produces good deeds from a good heart. And an evil person produces evil deeds from an evil heart. Whatever is in your heart determines what you say. What's in your heart? What are you thinking? What are you all, what's, what's your default? You know what a default is? It's that position you always get to when you're, when you're relaxed. What's your default? And I understand, I have to be very careful with my default. Because I don't have a good default. My default is stab you. Okay, all right? My, my default is not a good default. When I default to who I am, boom, knock them out. Boom, hurt them fast. So I can't, I can't, I can't default. Because that, that, that was a bad impression that was put upon me by family, brothers, uncles, neighborhood. And that's my default. So when I feel that way, I go, that's something wrong. I instantly know the devil is trying to get me. Because that is not where God wants me to go. So I have to watch it when I get angry. Anybody with me? Because I know, I know you, most of you, and I know your default, and you guys are still all defiled, messed up. Because you keep doing the same thing. When you want to default, you got to be careful. Because that's the devil. Oh, no, that brother got made, made me feel like, you know, I, mean, I don't know about that brother. He shouldn't talk about Well, there you go, Mr. Evil. 
we have to change our default. Our default says, man, I need to pray for that guy. I really, I really need to start fasting and praying because that's what God would want me to do. Why? Because now if you've been implanted into your brain the right things, your heart should start saying other things. Instead of saying, I need to punch him, it should say, man, I need to fast and pray for that guy. Because now my default is changing. But if your default is still, I'm going to sock him up, then my friend, you're still being tricked by the devil. Good thing nobody in Victor Average does that. Amen? Uh, whatever, whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Let me say it again. Whatever is in your heart determines what you say. See, we must all bear fruit, and it's not an option. It's either going to be good fruit or bad fruit. There's no option, no in-between, unless you just don't talk the rest of your life and close your eyes. Then you're cool. Uh, short of that, you gotta, you're going you're gonna to do go one way or another. Huh? See, now we begin to understand why the heart needs to be pure. Huh? Like the heart drives the mouth, the conscience drives the heart. And so we have to start thinking about a clear conscience. Because many lack a clear conscience. Our thoughts are often uh, hidden because our conscience is wrong. You know, conversely, if, if you maintain an open thought life, your conscience rests at a higher state of honesty. If you're open and honest, your thought life tends to be pretty good. Why? Because what you think is gonna eventually going to come out. But if you're lying and conniving, we'll catch you eventually because all we got to do is listen. I tell people all the time, if you listen long enough, people will tell on themselves. Because their mouth can't help it. No man can control the tongue. So all I do is wait and let the tongue wag. Oh, there they are. There they are. I knew that I'd get them eventually. That tongue, that tongue was wagging, wagging the dog. Because hmm? it's the tongue. Huh? That tells you. I would dare say because our thought life is hidden, our purity, sincerity, and conscience are not as God intended them to be. Think about our thought life. I've always said this. Could you imagine? Since I've been picking on Ace, I'm going to pick on him again. Could you imagine the beauty it would be after church, after he's watched TV for a little while, listen to music, we put his thought life on the projector. Boom! What will we see? Would there be holiness or girls with bikinis? What would we see? I mean, think of, come on, come on what, let's be for real, huh? Some of you know, oh, no, Pastor, we're sure, let's take holy. Oh, shut up. I know who I'm talking to. You're in church like maybe a couple of hours a week, and the rest of the time you're out there running around, running amok. Well, running amok with all the ducks. Whack, 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 whack out there. Huh? What would be on there? So let's not, but what, what, what would be on there if it was your thought life? Huh? So because our thought life isn't so open, our thought life isn't so pure. See, to avoid a perverse heart, one conscience cannot dishonor their soul. So God's intention for our conscience was to, to steer us towards obedience. So he uses all these things, the Bible, leadership, rebukes, encouragements to keep us online because there is a line that we all stray off. We need to get close, keep as close to the line as possible. And it began all the way back in the beginning when the woman saw, saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also described it was there for gaining wisdom. She took from the fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her stupid husband 
I mean, her husband, on my part, who was with her, and he ate it. Then their eyes were opened. They were both, they could see, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig tree, fig leaves together and covered themselves with it. Since that time, mankind has been open to knowledge. Now, knowledge in itself is not necessarily bad. It's cool. Unfortunately, when you add the will of man to knowledge, that's when it gets difficulty. Knowledge uh, seeks to sear one's conscience. In other words, the more we know, the less we need God. The greater the understanding, the more we can rely on ourselves and not God. Hmm? Here's a question. Has any red-blooded believer ever sinned and not have a knowledge of that sin? I would say not. When someone sins, they know it. Oops, I sinned. No, not oops, I sinned. <laughs> I've sinned. And then after the sin, you start regretting it or, or feeling bad. And most people don't really repent with godly sorrow. They're just, they're, they're sad they got caught and they're going to jail or something. Uh, God's always dealing that with our conscience. So what, what one must do who knows God, let me say it like this. If you don't want to have your conscience blotted by knowledge to enjoy sin, what, what should we do? That's the question. How do we keep from doing that? Because let's face it, if sin were not enjoyable, we wouldn't have a problem with it. But there is pleasure in sin for a season. Oh, it's for a short season too. It's not a long, it's not a four-month football season. Or it's not a boys of summer season. It's a short season. Oh, it's good for a little while. But then the consequence of it comes. So the, the word conscience comes from the word sunadias, which means the soul which distinguishes between good and bad. And everyone is born with a conscience. And like I said earlier, the world is continually trying to distort your conscience. Why? Because it gets to the brain. It gets to the heart, it gets to the heart, and then you speak your curses. We all have that little voice. Is it the right voice or is it the wrong voice? Is, is it the world? Is it the flesh? Uh, and your conscience will be led by conviction or led by self. We determine that. It's a choice. I was having a conversation about a person, and, and, and I said, I don't pray for that person anymore. I turn them over to themselves because it's their choice. They're grown, they're conscious. I've prayed long enough, they've done their deal, and now I turn them over to God. Because my prayers will not infect their will. You have to submit your will freely to God for God to do anything. That's, that's the, 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 the misunderstanding. Is that I can't pray that, that my son gets saved. He has to choose it for himself. Now, I would pray, but it's up to him. Because I could pray till my head falls off, rolling down the street. If he doesn't want it, he'll go to hell. I can, my prayer can't override his will. It never will. It never can. We all have to make a decision. It's your choice. The voices, that voice is talking to you right now. A time to say, listen to the pastor. A time to say, don't listen. Well, voices vying for your attention. And the voice that looks the best grabs your attention. Doesn't it? Oh, look at that voice. Oh, beautiful voice. Oh, lovely. And now you're listening. Huh? See, a conscience led by the world will, will stand condemned. If you're in the world, you will get your reward. 
an undisciplined conscience will destroy your soul. And God has always attempted to prod you towards maintaining a clear conscience. And in contrast, Satan and the world drive us towards the cliff of a seared conscience. Because we're playing with sin. We're, we're mocking the Holy Spirit. How many times has God said, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do it, just for you to do it. Eventually, if you keep saying, don't do that, don't do that, and you keep doing it, eventually he will not say a thing. And you'll be on your own. That is a very dangerous position. A seared conscience on John, on Genesis rather, chapter 2, coming in for landing, almost. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 and 17, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it, to care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge. What knowledge? Knowledge. The tree of knowledge. Not just a good and evil, but, but, but good and evil. The tree of life and the tree of knowledge. For when you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Think about what he's saying. If you eat from the knowledge of good and evil, so for some strange reason, God did, didn't want us to have knowledge. Not because of knowledge itself, but because of our will. Of who we are. Huh? See, knowledge's underlying motive is to cause you to question God. The question of God tells unfriendly spirits that, that you're exposed. So when you begin to gain knowledge that you, that you can't handle, and you begin to question God, your enemy, spirits, there are demons, Spiritual realms that are, are tagging you go, there's an opening. Why? This person is beginning to question God. Hit him with what you got. Send a girl. Send some drugs. Send a lie. Man, send a false prophet. Send anything. But let's go at them right because now they're at a position where they're questioning God. Right where we want them. So our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. See, knowledge not submitted to the authority of the Lord will cause you to hide in your own reasoning. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam was there hiding from God because he done bit the apple. And he said to God, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Up to that point, Adam didn't know he was naked. Now, I don't know how he didn't know he was naked, but you know, when you know you're naked, you know you're naked. He didn't know until he ate from, the, from understanding of knowledge of good and evil. And then he tells God, I was naked, so I hid. I said, how did you, who told you you were naked? Uh, so your conscience will convict you into obedience or cause you to hide in your own knowledge of reasoning. And all Adam had was that he was naked. And just the fact that he understood now that he was naked, that he never knew before, he hid from God. And that was the only thing he understood. The very first thing he understood made him hide from God. Uh, so your conscience... See, knowledge, let me say this before you think I want everybody to know. Knowledge is not bad. People are. It's like a pit bull. You ever say, you know, in Denver, you can't have a pit bull. Did you know you can't have a pit bull in Denver? They're outlawed in Denver because pit bulls are bad. But if you know anything about a dog, pit bulls are not bad. Pit bulls are probably the greatest little dogs you can have. They're, they're obedient. They're great animals. What, what makes them bad are people. And that's what knowledge is. Knowledge is like an unleashed pit bull. Right? You start thinking, you, you read John 3, 16, and now you want to tell everybody that you know all about God. 
you got a little bit of knowledge, and you know, you know, one book, and now, oh, I know Jesus. You don't know Jesus. You know about him, but you don't know Jesus. Because if you knew Jesus, you'd be serving him, doing work for him. You'd be giving. You'd be in church faithfully. You'd be leading people to the Lord if you knew Jesus. You know about him, but you don't know Jesus. You had a, that little knowledge that was not unfit, was unfit, kept you from God. In the deception that you knew who God was. Amazing. Hmm? No, people are bad. Look, listen, the majority of modern scientists function from a Christian base. When I say modern scientists, even if you got an F in history, you know Isaac Newton, Galileo, Leonardo da Vinci, right? These great scientists, great inventors of our era, all studied God, rather studied science, from the basis of God the Creator. They did not study science, and they made all these, uh, they, 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 create, they, they found all these laws and, of science and physics. The early scientists believed that the world was created by a reasonable God. So when you look at ancient society, one would ask, what caused their decline? The Greeks, they were the great astronomy, uh, and they understood the stars, and they were great. The Arabics, the Arabs were the most profound mathematicians ever to walk the earth. Mathematicians. The Chinese understood philosophy and would discuss humanity over centuries. The Romans were, were the creators and developer of leadership principles that we use today. These were once the scientific meccas of the world. What happened to them? The very thing that benefited their society caused them to hide and sear their conscience from God. Without God, they relied on men as the authority of their knowledge. All of a sudden, out of China came a man by the name of Confucius. Confucius said, and they began to rely on Confucius. Aristotle for the Greek, the great man Aristotle who had uh, Plato and these other men that would begin to talk philosophies and, and begin to speak to people. They begin to turn the knowledge that once was God-given. They turned people away from God. Caesar, the great Roman leader who became the pervert of his era, who would dip Christians in, pinch, in pitch and burn them to light up the city of Rome so that the Christians would be the light of the world. These society eventually lost Interest in science because they lost interest in God. Modern scientists believe man can learn new things about nature and the universe. Hmm? Again, but they thought he was reasonable. Newton, Sir Isaac Newton, after he did all these scientific accomplishments, spent more time in his old age writing about the Bible he spent more time writing about the Bible than he had previously spent on every scientific invention and adventure he had ever done. And all we hear about is what Sir Isaac Newton did scientifically. And that was only a small portion of his life. Galileo was imprisoned for his faith because he proved Aristotle and those intellectuals incorrect in their authority. God, since God is a God of order, Man could search out the mysteries of science for hidden order, and they would use their knowledge. And for example, let me let you know something. Electricity has always existed. 
It just took us a long time to figure out it was there. Wi-Fi has always been around. Just we're so stupid, we didn't know about it until recently. It didn't just come up. It has always been there. Because God is a God of order, it took us centuries, thousands of years to figure out that, hey, look what's here. And we've only scratched the enormity of God's mind. Just did that. And we think we know things. All of a sudden, we know better than God. I don't need God. I can live. I can do. I can, I can do this. I'm this. I'm that. That's like an ant telling you to cook a dinner tonight. Could you imagine you went home a little time and, hey, cook me dinner. Hey, shut up. There's your dinner. Yeah. Ah. God, these things were yet to be discovered. And we don't even know what, what is yet to be discovered. See, there's nothing that we discover is created by us. It's already been created. We're just discovering it. Oh, we think we're smart. That we can put a 747 with 300 fat Americans in the air. We just figured that out. It's always been possible. It just took us a long time to figure out how to do it. Huh? These, these, these principles are God-created. So what we have, what we say is the creative stirrings that men have. Even, even Job's who, the Apple iPad. Ooh, look at man created. Man, they create everything in that, everything in this didn't come from Mars. Everything in here came from this planet somewhere. If it was the plastic from the oil, if it was the metal, it was from the metal, if it was the little wires, everything in here, the silicone, the ability for silicone to move, everything in this thing was here. We didn't, we didn't create it. No, it was created. We just figured out how to harness it. It's always been here. We're not that smart, but we think we are. The untamed knowledge, and this gets me to the point, untamed knowledge is evil. Huh? Man-centered knowledge will always sear one's conscience and distorts one's judgment. A seared conscience distorts judgment. That's why when I look at Apple, every time I look at that, that symbol, that demonic symbol. Now, I know you guys like Apple, iPad, and iPhone. Okay, it's all right. But let's, let's, let's face it. To me, that's a mockery of God. Because it has an apple with Eve's bite out of it. One bite. Saying, there you go, God. And then we got that on our little thing. And our, oh, I got a new phone. Well, mm, that's why I don't got Apple. Amen. That's another story. First Corinthians chapter four, verse four. First Corinthians four four. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Again, now Paul is talking to the Corinthian church. Therefore, verse 5, therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and expose the motives of man's hearts. At the time, each will receive his praise from God. So why does Paul say this? Paul rests all he knows and believes on God. Like the early scientists who would follow, Paul understood that God is a reasonable God. 
In fact, the Bible says, as God was speaking to the prophet, come now, let us reason together. Though your skins, your sins be red as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. See, God is a reasonable God. He's not an unjust. He wants to bring the sin and begin. It begins with the repentance of sin. Why? Not just the repentance of sin. That gets us in the door. But he knows because of our past and our life, he has to work on our heart. He has to help out our thinking. He has to retrain our tongue. And he has to instruct our mouth to begin to sing, say things of praise, things that are good, things that are honorable. He has to begin this whole process. So he said, look, come now, let's reason together. Because we serve a reasonable God. Uh, Jesus preserved our pure heart by activating our conscience to bring in clear judgment that will empower a sincere faith. I'll bring my piano player up. This will give you hope. A pure heart enlightens our conscience and raises our conviction level. Conviction lets us know when we are getting too far away from God. We're going to make mistakes, We're all, but don't get too far away. Because if you get too far away, then you're on your own. Stay close. When you fall, get up quickly. When you make a mistake, repent. A pure heart awakens sincere faith. But notice the attacks. The enemy of your soul attacks our heart by knowledge not submitted to God. The world attacks our pure heart by its perversion. But a pure heart will be able to access power most have never seen. Jesus on the Mount of Olives said this, Blessed are the pure at heart, for they shall see God. A pure heart gives mercy, forgiveness, compassion. As I close, 1 Timothy 1.5. And it reads there, the purpose of my instruction. That's very interesting. The reason I'm teaching you anything, here's the purpose, is that all Christians would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and sincere faith. So that's where we need to begin, right there. All this other stuff is extra. We have to start right here. I want every head bowed and every eye closed.